0: To finish, thanks Atlas. Thanks for joining the Escape With Me Book Club. Escape with me, Lizzie Sawyer, and me, Sam Reiner, into our most recent read. Come with us as we evade reality and go into detail about a new book. We're going to be covering it from beginning to end, so remember, there will be spoilers. Today we're going to a
1: small British town in the country. Originally published in 2008, The Graveyard Book has since won numerous awards for its creativity, life lessons, and good writing. Made up of eight short stories that tie together with the mystery of a murder and the very real threat of Bod's own demise. Together with the permanent residence of the graveyard Bod learns how to survive both in the world of the living but also the world of the dead so this is the first time where I get to be like Lizzie made me read it well this isn't the first time but this is the first intentional time yes
0: I made you read it (laughs)
1: So my background is kind of boring. We were scheduling books for October. I had picked out, and then there was none, and then she had picked out this one. So that is my background with this book. How in the world did you find it? This
0: was actually suggested to me by my mother. This was one of the books where, and I believe I was in middle school at the time, but she had just read through it and she was like, Lizzie, you would like this book. And then promptly came back with, but don't mind the beginning. Once you get into it, it's great. Because when you first start with this book, it's very... Everybody is dying and there's blood and it's great it's it's very scary at the first bit especially if you're just a middle schooler.
1: That's fair, but I kind of loved it. That was an amazing beginning.
0: But yeah, this book was suggested to me by my mother and I fell in love with it. And this is one of the ones that I go back to whenever I want to listen to Neil Gaiman's voice because I have the audiobook that he reads. <laughs> Which is really cool.
1: I love whenever an author is able to read their own book. So I feel kind of dumb, mainly because when you look at the cover, it has this gravestone on it. And normal people are supposed to see that it's the gravestone stone there. It's gray. It's normal. And then the rest of the book is blue. And then there's a little bit cut out on the gravestone. That's a boy's face. But my brain decided to focus on the gravestone and not on the blue portion of it. So I just saw a really weird gravestone. (laughs) I was so confused why it looked like the sickle thing, but I was just going to run with it.
0: It makes you feel better. When I first saw the cover, it did take me a good bit of time to realize that there was a boy's face in it. And I did promptly run up to my mother and go, look, it's a boy's face and she went, yes.
1: That's kind of the point. Yeah, I felt silly about that. I guess that's where my eyes look in those type of optical illusions, the most prominent thing. But I had no idea what to expect from this book from the cover. I expected a graveyard to be there.
0: I mean, it is the graveyard book.
1: Yeah, it's called the graveyard book. It has a grave on the cover. And it wasn't until I was two thirds of the way through the book that I realized there was this boy's face in it. So I had no idea what to expect. This is a very mysterious cover. It gives you none of its
0: secrets. I feel like I should preface whenever my mom suggests a book to me, she explains what the book's about before she has me read it. So I didn't get that, oh, what does the cover make me think of? I was like, ah, yes, this book is about this.
1: It's a good cover, though. It's very pretty. At least I have the 10th anniversary one. From pictures I've seen online, there are other versions. And some of them look really, really cool and make it much more obvious what the book is about. But I don't know. I kind of like the simplicity of the design for the 10th anniversary one.
0: Yeah, it's a really nicely done cover. It's very
1: pretty. Although, a lot of the other covers kind of look like the corpse bride vibe, kind of. Like, they're a little bit more sticky and a little bit uncanny valley, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. And then there are a couple of covers that have Silas on it, too, which we'll get to Silas in a little bit, but I still don't understand what Silas is.
0: You don't? No. Sam, he's a vampire. What? He's really, really obviously a vampire. How is he obviously a vampire? He's obviously a vampire.
1: I thought he was like a ghoul or something. No. I did not know he was a
0: vampire. He only comes out at night. So did the ghost. He doesn't eat people food. They allude to him eating some other type of food. He sleeps in a box with dirt in the bottom of it because that's what you do when you're away from your homeland in a vampire. You put the soil from where you're buried into the coffin so that you can move it elsewhere. He's a tall, thin, pale individual. He's obviously a vampire.
1: I don't see that. It makes sense now that you pointed out, but I would argue it's not obvious.
0: You caught Miss Lupescu is a werewolf, right? Well,
1: yeah, the other ones were obvious. Okay. <laughs> She's the werewolf. Then, so there were four of them, right? Yeah. So Silas is there. I guess he's a vampire. There's a mummy, a werewolf, and then they also had an Ifrit, which is a monster from Islamic culture. So I I knew what three of them were. I didn't know what Silas was.
0: You're forgetting the pig.
1: I am not forgetting the pig. The pig's my favorite character. He's apparently very lucky.
0: The pig is the best. (laughs) He's apparently very, very lucky.
1: That is a way to get to my heart, make a character overly superstitious and adorable about it.
0: Mummies, man.
1: <laughs> Since we're
0: getting into that, let's go
1: ahead and get started. Now it's time to join the mysterious Jack as he heads to the attic nursery to finish the job he started there tonight. I stand by it. That was an amazing... I don't have the hard copy on me. Oh my goodness, I wish I had the hard copy on me. But those opening lines were so good. And then the 10th anniversary is illustrated. I don't know if there are any versions that aren't illustrated, but it has this picture of Han- and the black glove and the dagger and the opening lines are just strike you immediately because this dude's in the middle of murdering a family. You're like, holy crap, what? What is happening? What is going on? Why is there murder? Who is this guy? Is this a good thing or a bad thing?
0: Yeah, it's a fun first couple of lines there.
1: If you really want to get someone's attention... Some people open to a random page and start reading, but I usually start at the beginning to try to get the concept.
0: Which is why I felt so bad about Trixie Belden, because the first couple of lines is, Moms, I'll just
1: die if I don't have a horse. Yeah, that should have been a sign. But yeah, goodness. <laughs> of all the ways to start a book, more people should start with murder.
0: Yeah, and I've read a couple other of Neil Gaiman's books, and he's very good at being like, so this big mysterious thing that's happening right now, here we are. And you're like, whoa, wait, no, how we get here? Wait, no hold up, Neil Gaiman, wait. And then he's like, and uh, then we're going to backtrack a little bit. And you're like, well, okay, no, hold up. Hold up. There is no backtracking in this one either. No.
1: (laughs) It's just full force going forward, which in book structures, there's always an incident that puts everything in motion, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, the murder is what puts everything in motion, theoretically. It puts it in motion as in the plot of this book. Obviously, the book hints to past infractions and potentially future infractions. But for the plot itself... It starts with this murder and he just straight up is like, okay, we're just going to start in the middle of that. Don't need any extra. Not going to give you info dumps about people. Barely going to tell you what's going on in the scenes in general. It's like, all you
0: need to know is the mom, the dad, and the sister are dead now and he's going to go after the baby. That's what's happening now.
1: Yes. Which, personally, we've read so many info-dumpy books in the past couple months. I appreciated. it. Isn't it nice? I always appreciate an author who's like, I have created this entire world. Now I'm going to give you only the parts that are necessary for you. And basically allow you to have mystery. Like, what is Silas? He's a vampire. <laughs> He's a vampire. But there are other questions besides that, that are actual questions that this book gives you.
0: Did you catch the bit of the book where Silas... Climbed- Head first down the spire of the chapel. No, for some reason I always thought he dissipated. There is an actual section of the book where it describes him climbing head first down the spire, and I didn't catch it until the second or third time I read through, and I was like, whoa, okay, no, hold on, wait, head first? Well, it makes me wonder
1: if this book is. Because there's different mythologies about vampires, and obviously some purport they can go places because they can turn into a bat, and then some believe they can go places because they turn into a mist or something like that. So I wonder if that's meaning he turns into a bat maybe? And he goes face first? Because if he turned into mist you wouldn't be able to know that he's going face first.
0: No, I think for that instance he did a spider climb down just in that one instance. There are other instances where he does kind of dissipate. That's really creepy. It is, isn't it? It's a lot of fun. That is really disturbing. There are other incidents later where it kind of alludes to him when he wraps bot up in his cloak and they kind of travel that he would potentially dissipate there but it's not very clear
1: yeah see if it was more clear i would know
0: and i would know it's a vampire it'd be less fun Silas as a character just in and of himself and I think it's fun the way that Neil Gaiman does it is his character is kind of a mystery. You're like, yeah, he's... He's something. P- potentially a vampire but you don't know what kind and you don't know what era and so you don't know what kind of powers he's got.
1: But that does make sense in the very end where he's like, I've done worse things than this mysterious organization and that makes that make more sense.
0: Yeah, he's a vampire. I just know way too much about vampire lore and I kind caught it very quickly.
1: Can we talk about the murderer's amazing sense of smell? Yes. That is such a weird plot device.
0: I can smell you. Like, oh, yay. It's
1: like the murderer is walking around the house. He's like, I smell very specifically these things. And then the the baby gets out of the house and goes toward the graveyard and he walks into the area, smells the air. is like, oh, the graveyard. Ha, Ha ha.
0: Yeah, Jack is a lot of fun. Really creepy. A whole lot of fun. It's
1: really a creepy superpower. It makes me think he's something,
0: you know? Oh, well, their whole, and they talk about it at the end of the book, their whole organization is killing people for black magic.
1: Potentially. That is neither conformed nor denied.
0: Well, they confirm that they're killing people for magic. Yeah. So that is confirmed.
1: At one point, Bod's like, hey, are you killing people for black magic? And he makes it sound like it's something else. I'd have to go look at my notes,
0: but I don't know. It's definitely some sort of power, though. Yeah that they're gaining from killing people. So that's probably how Jack got to be the way that he is. Yeah.
1: And there are other things they do. Like they don't just go around murdering people. You find out the reason later why they specifically murdered Bod's family. But it's weird. It's a weird organization filled with weird people. They want power. They want power. It's weird. Yeah, he was asking them questions and Dandy just left. He never answered their questions. So, so there are a couple things up in there. But it is a mysterious organization and they have mysterious powers. We at least know one of them has a... Super smell. Yep. He writes children and babies really well. Yep. I'm very impressed.
0: Yeah, he's really good at what he does, for sure. And I know at least one other book that he's got that the main character is a younger kid. It's very
1: good. The infant makes her way to the graveyard. The residents decide to keep him. So they give him freedom of the graveyard. And now he can live there. And Silence is going to be their guardian. To me, throughout this whole book, I feel like Silas had a much bigger role as a parent than the Owens did?
0: Well, we see Silas as a parent more than the Owens, but I think the parental stuff did come more from the Owens. Silas is more that teacher or the older friend that you go to to ask questions that your parents don't necessarily feel like they should tell you the answers to or don't know the answers to. He's that catch-all.
1: He's that uncle.
0: Yes. He's that uncle.
1: But yeah, and so a lot more things revolve around Silas because he can go out into the world and he can do all these things and teaches bod and all of that
0: and knows what a banana is and
1: yeah where the owens are kind of stuck both in place and in time so they're not the most helpful to bod as he grows up because as he grows up more and more he needs more real world experience where the owens only have so much they can pass on Scarlet's adorable.
0: Scarlet is adorable.
1: I kind of both understand and am sad with how the Scarlet plotline ends. Yep. And and I'm torn whether or not I hate it because it's my personality to hate stuff like that. Or if I'm impressed with, okay, that is realistic and that doesn't betray the character. So I, I guess that makes sense. And knowing that Silas is a vampire... It also makes sense how he can talk to her and make her forget things.
0: It starts to tie things together, doesn't it? Yeah, it it makes sense. It's suddenly starting to come together.
1: (laughs) I like the first Scarlet plotline because it's really funny. Her parents think Bod is an imaginary child. Scarlet thinks Bod has a bunch of imaginary friends with the ghost. And Bod thinks that Scarlet's dad (laughs) studies imaginary things. It's always really cute. It's just a circle of imaginary things.
0: It's all imaginary.
1: The Indigo Man was a really interesting plot line.
0: Mm-hmm. I never actually did any research into what that alludes to historical-wise. The
1: Sleer or the Indigo Man? Both. Yeah, I'm interested about the Sleer.
0: It alludes to being from the start of the Jack's organization, just from the way that Jack reacts to it at the end, where he's like, all of the things are here. Because they mentioned that the Jacks have been around for hundreds of thousands of years, so forever. It makes it feel like the tomb itself is from way back when back when the Jacks were first becoming a thing and maybe weren't even called the Jacks yet. I don't know. That's just what it feels like but I also feel like Neil Gaiman is probably alluding to some other sort of people in history that I don't know about.
1: See that was more my vibe. It was more of Jack knew what this meant or what this symbolized because they do all this stuff with dark magic so yeah. if they were to come upon something like that. They would know, yeah. It's something with human sacrifice, for sure. Oh, definitely. But it doesn't really say what the end goal would be, necessarily.
0: I'm willing to bet power. If I had to guess, I'm thinking power.
1: Yeah, my mind goes to the road to El Dorado. We're summoning a scary god or something like that.
0: It's such a good movie.
1: But at the end of that adventure, Scarlet ends up moving to Glasgow with her dad because her dad moves around a lot because apparently in 2000s, not too many people were living for particle physics.
0: You can't really blame them.
1: I don't know. A part of me feels like if you can find a job there for a year or so, I'm confused why... He must be a bad teacher is what I'm trying to say.
0: That and also they may have wanted to move due to the fact that their daughter, well, at least in their minds, was kidnapped.
1: Yes, but I could see moving to another town or another whatever, but they moved to a different country. That would be overreacting. What? I'm
0: sure there's also not much demand for professors in particle physics.
1: There's not, but he always makes it sound like, oh yeah, he teaches there for a year and then he leaves. And it's like, there was a position open for particle physics and then you go to fill that why after a year do they decide they no longer it makes me feel like he's actually a bad teacher and maybe he focuses either too much on the research portion of it or something or i
0: don't know maybe there's not positions to fill maybe he just talks them into letting him have a class there and so they try it for a year and then give up i have no idea they're like well we tried it it didn't work we don't have a job for you anymore makes me think he's a bad teacher actually But that's
1: beside the point ghoul gates are really cool. That was a fun chapter. They were going hard on Truman though. Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) I did have a little point where she's talking about all of these things he doesn't know. And I was like, for being so uppity about him not knowing about ghouls or anything about that, she doesn't teach him anything about ghouls.
0: Well, not that they actively tell us.
1: She's like, what's a ghoul gate? And he's like, I don't know what that is. And she's like, exactly. So here are these other things to talk about. Because As soon as he sees the ghouls later on, he has no idea who they are or what a ghoul gate is or anything like that. She could have saved a lot of heartache if she made a big deal about the ghouls and then actually taught him what ghouls were right there. Because then he gets kidnapped by ghouls. She does teach, I think that's one of the things she teaches him that day is all the SOSs in different languages. So that was pretty important. Glad she started with that. But do I not write down any of the names? Jeez. But it was like a Chinese government official or something. And then they were like, specifically the 39th president of the United States. I was like, oh, you're going to be real specific, aren't you? And then there was Victor Hugo. And there was a couple of them. And I wasn't sure if... I mean, I got the drift that those were obviously not the actual people because they say you get a new name or something. But it's like, why did you pick those names specifically?
0: Those are the people that the ghouls killed.
1: Is it? Is that what that means?
0: Yeah, they get a new name based off of the main course of their first killing spree.
1: Okay, because that was the one thing I was confused with because they made it sound like, oh, you get turned. I don't know how you get turned into
0: a ghoul. Yeah, I don't know.
1: So I wasn't sure if it was a naming ceremony that was involved in that.
0: No, that comes later. Okay. They specifically talk about it.
1: Ghouls are weird. That is one section I very vividly in my brain saw stuff and saw this being a movie adaptation or something. I could see the ghouls the whole time he was with them and everything going on. I could see very vividly. Yeah. Although in my head, it was more of a stop motion thing. I don't know. It was very creepy. It was very fun. It was very scary. I think he writes ghouls really well. Miss Lapisku being a hound of God was
0: a good little... I am gonna correct you on that one purely because Neil Gaiman read the audiobook that I listened to, but the way he says it is Miss Lopescu. Well, she was really cool
1: being a werewolf and then going on about how She makes it sound like there are other werewolves, but she's different because she views her gift as something to use for righteousness and yada, yada, yada.
0: Yeah, I do like the way that she refers to her kind as the hounds of God.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. She turns out to be Kickbutt. I never completely understand the character arcs, though, where it's this old lady and she's super strict until the child does something they're not supposed to. And then they get in danger and then the old lady has to save them and suddenly they're best friends. Yeah. But... I did like her after she saved him and stopped being so frustrated with him, I guess. But like I said, I never understand that character progression. It seems to come up a lot with old women. Next one was about the witch. And that was a fun plot line.
0: Oh yeah, I really like Liza Hempstock.
1: We gotta learn about witches. You get a little history lesson there about holy versus not holy burial places.
0: Yeah, potter's fields versus hallowed ground, which is something that I guess would need to come up in a book about graveyards because almost all the older graveyards have potter's fields. And so if he hadn't put something in about a potter's field, people probably would have been like, well, what about the potter's field? And he was able to put in a couple of fun characters through that as well. I
1: mean, that's true. Although, to be fair, I don't think any eight-year-old reading this book is... No,
0: but older adults.
1: But for the target audience, it was a good little history lesson because this is a very, very old graveyard going back all the way to the Romans. So that's a pretty long time. Eliza's story isn't funny, but I do like it because everyone thought she was a witch for dumb reasons, of course. And one of them was, one of the women was like, oh, she made my husband fall in love with her. It
0: wasn't her husband. It was just her, I think, boyfriend at the time. They weren't even married. No, the word husband is not in there. Well, they tried to drown her. Yeah, they did that big chair thing into the water. The whole, if you drown, you're not a witch, but if you don't, you are one. Logic. It doesn't make sense. So she does end
1: up mostly drowned because, surprise, witches aren't waterproof still a weird concept. So she curses them that something terrible is going to happen to them, and something does happen. Somebody imports a rug or a carpet. From London, there's the plague. Everybody in the town gets a plague, and they all get buried in a plague pit, which is basically this mass grave. So they don't even get a proper burial, as she didn't get a proper burial because she was put in the middle of a field without a headstone. And that's where Bod comes in many, many, many centuries later. And Bod wants to make her a little headstone, which is adorable. He takes the brooch from the sleer and they're like oh it always comes back which is a fun little thought because that makes me think other people have taken the brooch and then it has been returned to them but he goes to this pawn shop and as we have learned on this podcast pawn shops are evil always as a rule in any book
0: pawn shops are always very shady always forever and all eternity
1: and all of their owners are clearly corrupt and sorry i can't keep going but it's just very funny that pawn Up seems to have this really bad rap. But this guy is kind of terrible because he kidnaps the kid because he thinks, oh, you have this brooch. Clearly there's a massive treasure somewhere. And then he also has this card for Jack and it's really sketchy looking card. He's like, oh, I know how to use it. I know how to summon people from it, which I am kind of curious how that works. Black magic. Uh, Yeah, but is it he burns the card and says a couple things or or he tears it up? I don't know. Because eventually the card gets taken away and disposed of. So he doesn't have the card anymore. I just realized something. They never specify whether or not he poisoned that one dude.
0: I mean, he definitely put something in his drink, but Liza Hemstock clarifies that neither of them are dead. So he may have just knocked the dude out. Or he's so large that whatever amount of poison was in the cup didn't affect him (laughs) as bad as it could have.
1: Yeah, but the weird thing is in the next short story, Fogg sees the uh,
0: pawn shop dude.
1: Yeah, the pawn shop owner, but he doesn't see the other guy. Well, the
0: other guy lives out of town. He had to be called in.
1: He made pretty good time then. I mean, oh well. It was one of those things that was like, huh, I wonder he says he's gonna poison this dude and and then it doesn't work out or did it work out. Did he do it later or we'll never know.
0: At the same time, maybe the other dude didn't get a flower on the second short story because I mean, then he wouldn't have been part of the dance. That's true.
1: But he finds out it's called a snake stone, which I was gonna Google that.
0: Let's Google that. Stone. Stone, also called Druid's Egg or Serpent's Egg, were talismans worn by druids. A variety of descriptions exist, but all seem to agree that it's small enough to fit in the palm of your hand. According to legend, these stones were created from the spit of hissing snakes and must be caught before hitting the ground or they will lose their great power. This also says that since the tomb was pre Celtic, Gaiman seems to be describing a and I don't know how to pronounce this word, but they were a group of people that were constantly at war with the Romans, and they had a custom of painting tattoos on their bodies. It's got stuff about the sleer too, and they don't have much information on that, other than saying that its master was probably a powerful druid.
1: Yeah, I would assume it would have to be to conjure up that much loyalty. So, apparently, this dude knows what it is, and it's worth a lot of money. Well, apparently,
0: he's seen one in a museum before.
1: Yeah. But the witch helps get him out. She casts a spell on him, so he's actually able to fade, because up until this point, he hadn't been able to do it, because he's being taught by ghosts, who knows ghost techniques, but she's like, no, you need living techniques because you're alive. Which a part of me wonders if he gets to keep that once he leaves the graveyard or if he loses all of that. I
0: bet it gets weaker once he leaves the graveyard, but it sticks around because it's a spell versus the freedom of the graveyard.
1: Yeah, because he could go through solid things and poke his head in tombstones and see people and
0: stuff. I bet he gets to keep the fade to some extent. Yeah, I don't know about the dream walking or the other stuff. I think that came with the freedom of the graveyard. I think so too. Because she helped him with specifically the fading.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. The only short story that didn't seem to add to the overall plot was... I can't pronounce The
0: Macabre?
1: Thank you. The Macabre.
0: That's the way they pronounce it in the book. The dance macabre. Because
1: I'm looking at, like, Macabre. But, anyway. That's the only one. It's about halfway. It's all the ghosts are acting super weird. He goes into town. He gets a white flower, and then there's this dance between the living and the dead
0: at midnight. There's a set of flowers that bloom only every now and again and they haven't bloomed within the past 80 years and so it's an old town tradition to pick the flowers and then hand them out to the people of the old town
1: which new mayor
0: is <laughs> like I've never heard of this and they're like yeah you haven't heard of it because they haven't bloomed in 80 years
1: yeah which knowing what I know about medieval times the actual what it's referring to is in artistry where there would be skeletons dancing among themselves or with the living And essentially what it was is plague arc work of skeletons coming to take you into death.
0: Yeah, the Dance Macabre, which is a lovely song. That's a lovely piece of music.
1: So do the people in the town die?
0: No, I think it's supposed to just be a symbolic thing for the graveyard and the lady on the gray, whatever she is supposed to represent. I think she's the Grim Reaper. Most likely, yeah. I think it was just supposed to be some sort of symbolic thing. I'm not 100% sure what that was supposed to do other than reaffirm to Bod that he's alive and not dead even though everybody that he hangs out Was is dead
1: yeah just because of the way they symbolically ended it and it was like oh and they ended and the clock rang 12 again and was the dance 24 hours or no time at all or only 12 hours and then there's a bunch of flowers on the ground and a part of me was like um (laughs) what happened there and like I said most of the things come back like the ghoul gate comes back the hound of god comes back Scarlet comes back, Jack's weird smelling powers come back, like all of these things come back.
0: I hate when he's Mr. Frost because my brain's like, oh yeah, I like Mr. Frost. And I'm like, no, I super don't. I super, super do not. No.
1: Oh, we'll get there. That one was, (laughs) that one was something. But speaking of Jack's, the convocation is kind of uh, an intermission of sorts.
0: It's yeah
1: where we get to learn a little bit more about jack and this mysterious organization there's a couple of things that they talk about apparently everyone can speak english everyone has a dark suit and there are no women no in the convocation
0: it's like a gentleman's club like back in the, I want to say, late 1800s where you would go to smoke and just chill in like a lounge setting with just other men versus what gentlemen's Club now refers to, which is a strip club.
1: Oh yeah, they still have things like lodges and stuff. I'm kind of curious if... You've come to find out they're the jack of all trades. So it makes me wonder if that's based off anything or if he came up with that.
0: I don't know. I think it's a fun play on words for sure. Taking the jack of all trades and then having all of the different jack.
1: Oh, yeah, I totally think that he came up with. I have no doubt about that. I'm just curious if this concept of a men's club seeking dark power. It's a cult. Or some sort of secret society, like the Freemasons or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, he may have just been like, I need a secret society. I've created a secret society. They're the Jacks. (laughs) I don't think the Freemasons are after evil black magic powers, though.
1: They're not, but a lot of them in that time were male-only secret societies that got together for a specific purpose and whatever. So I don't know. The Jack of All Trades were very cool. Going to school was a terrible idea.
0: No, but you can see where he was coming from. He was looking for a way to get more knowledge and be around living people, seeing as the people in the graveyard can only really teach him so much and wouldn't be able to teach him about anything modern day wise.
1: Oh, absolutely. But- The only reason I say it's a terrible idea is
0: because it was a terrible idea.
1: It was a terrible idea, but it's a little late to be enrolling this kid in school, don't you think? To go for the purpose of socializing with other people.
0: I mean, he was going more to learn. And he says that to Max. He's there to learn. Yeah. But one of the reasons Silas lets
1: him go is so he can be around living people the other thing silas is like hey your family was murdered and the murderer is still out there and and bod's like okay I want to go to school.
0: So that I can learn to avenge my family that has been dead.
1: And I mean, Silas, of course, was like, mmm, this doesn't seem like a good idea. But a part of me was like, yeah, Silas, this sounds like a terrible idea. He's like, I want to avenge my family. I must go into the world as an 11 year old and learn all I can so I can
0: avenge them. Well, at the end of the book, they're like, you're 15 now. You're an adult. And I'm like, no, he's not. He's super not an adult. I think he was 16. Mm, He's 15.
1: Which was the other funny thing because they were like, oh, you're too young to leave the graveyard yet. And then it was like a year later.
0: At 14, yeah, because he's a year younger than Scarlet. And Scarlet was 15 when all that went down. And he was only 14. And then when he turns 15, which they say, it's like, you're 15 now. You're an adult. But he's not, though.
1: <laughs> I know. Of all the times, it would make more sense at 18 or something.
0: I was thinking. thinking, I was like, yeah, 18. Of course, I know that the adult age is different across the pond to some extent, but... I still think 15 is a bit young.
1: Yeah, I don't think he's going to be able to go out and be like, hey, I want to have an apartment and have a job and know how the society even
0: functions. Ah, oh, yes, out into the world as an adult straight straightened orphanage.
1: <laughs> I want to find mysterious islands and stuff. It's like, what boat captain is going to let you just come on? <laughs> horrible decisions and i know why they did it because this is a young adult book and so young adults need to seem much more capable than they actually are
0: it's like pokemon you're 10 go out into the world with your pokemon
1: and explore the world they're, they're 10 <laughs> but of course this, this chapter also started the whole well, what's so wrong with being dead and Silas has to explain that when you're dead, everything's over. Everything's stuck in place. It's like, it
0: stops. You're stuck. You can't go anywhere.
1: But yeah, it's straight up. is like, if the murderer is still out there, then I want to go to school. That jump in logic.
0: I think, well, he's 11. His brain went, ah, the murderer's still out there. I need more knowledge. School. School is where I can get more knowledge.
1: I think the school thing, well, he probably thought in the back of his head for a while about school.
0: Yeah, this is a perfect opportunity to broach this subject.
1: (laughs) Hey, you mentioned the outside world. Let's have some more of
0: that. It's like, yeah, okay, so you just talked about the outside world. So, um, yeah, school?
1: But he does pull a very logical argument. He's straight up like, I need to survive in the real world one day. At some point, I need to learn real world stuff.
0: Here I'm only learning history stuff and mathematics because there was the one person that could teach him math and the person teaching him grammar.
1: Yeah, it's very limited, of course. And then there's the one guy teaching manners, I think. I never really understood
0: what he was teaching. If there are people in the graveyard from several different decades in time, you would need to learn the different forms of proper greetings for each decade in time to be polite to each person in the graveyard. I think he mentions that at some point. He does. It's in that short story with the school, he ends up in a different graveyard and he's like, yeah, I greet them like this because I learned how to greet everybody from different eras. There was
1: another jump in logic where Silas was like, well, I don't know about this. And Bob's like, listen, if the man killed my family, then I shouldn't be scared of him. He should be scared of me you're 11 and Silas is like you know what you're right kid time for school
0: <laughs> the vampire's like yeah you scary bro
1: <laughs> you're totally right you should be terrified <laughs> oh my goodness personally i like bod around living people more than i like bod around dead people because around dead people he's rather obedient he listens to them whatever but
0: around living people he's super sassy Yeah, he never has to see them again if he doesn't want to.
1: He's like, oh, Nick and Mo are blackmailing you. You should do X, Y, Z. Well, that's the other thing for not being able to people. He sure understands how to people. Well, I mean, he's been around
0: dead people. That's still people.
1: Yeah, but still, he's like, hey, Paul, you're being blackmailed. So what you need to do is not give in to them about the CD.
0: Well, I mean, he's had stories from several different people, I'm sure, over the years.
1: I know, but it was just really funny. He was like straight up. He's like, don't give in to them. Threaten them that you're going to go to the police on them because blackmail is worse than theft. It was like, oh, my goodness. Where did this knowledge come from? You're
0: 11. What have those ghosts been telling you, man? At least he's not a shut-in. I do like they keep calling him Bob. (laughs) Yeah, Bob Owens. He's like, okay, it's Bob with a D.
1: (laughs) But what's her face? Mo gets him arrested at one point. And it's like her uncle is on the force or whatever. Yep. And then (laughs) silence runs out in front of the car and gets hit. And this whole time, the police are like, who are your parents? Who are your parents? Who are your parents? We're gonna take you to the station if you don't tell us who your parents are. And then Silas runs out and gets hit by the car and Bod's like, oh, you hit my dad! And he's crying. He's like, you killed That's my dad! (laughs) And they're freaking out because he's like, I'm gonna tell on you guys, you killed my dad! And so they let him, this hysterical child, they let him get out of the car and run over to Silas And of course, that's the portion where Silas is like, get under my
0: cape, we're leaving. They turn away to talk and they're like, they're not looking. We can fade into nothing now. I like Bod's decorum in that because he never actually gets freaked out. He's more like, you've done a favor for your niece to scare a kid she's been fighting with in school, and now you've hit my dad. He's like, well, I guess that's your jobs. (laughs) They're like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well.
1: But he screams frantically that they hit his dad. And I just think it's this really, really funny part. Bod is not 11. He's not actually 11. (laughs) I'm convinced
0: he's an old soul
1: at this point yes okay there is another thing that I thought of when we were talking about how I love how he writes kids there's a part this is when he was 11 One of the stories is when he was eight. So with the headstone and he picked up the brooch and he's admiring the brooch at one point. And he writes, if Bod had been any younger, he would have put it in his mouth. That was the most in tune with child I have ever read in a book. Yes, they put freaking everything in their mouth. That was amazing. But yeah, they basically, I guess he blackmails the cops.
0: I mean, sort of. They kind of get them fighting and then they disappear.
1: And then Mo gets in a lot of trouble about it because her uncle's like, you could have cost me my job.
0: Yeah. He's like, thank God the kid disappeared.
1: Yeah, there's no like, oh, there's a warrant out for his arrest or anything like that. They're like, nope, this was a horrible situation. Let's just pretend it didn't happen.
0: This never happened. Yep, that didn't happen. I don't know what you're talking about. There was no kid. We didn't hit anybody.
1: And this is another time where Silas is like, oh, yeah, I can be injured, but I can't be killed by that. Vampire. (laughs) So instead of going to school... Silas is going to take him to libraries and to theaters and cinemas, so he can sit with living people and he can learn things.
0: Which is what they should have done to begin with.
1: Yeah. And Bod wants to see a football match, which Silas is like, "Uh, I can't take you to that.
0: That's during daylight hours. (laughs) I can't do that. But the werewolf can do that for you. (laughs) And then Silas
1: warns him that because of all this, they are looking for Bod, which is jack of all trades, which I'm not sure who tips them off. But obviously they have a lot of connections.
0: Back with the brooch story, when he took the card from Liza, who'd stolen it from the pawn shop dude, and he puts it in the shirt pocket next to his heart. The Jack's like, "My spidey senses are tingling." But it's a mix of that, and then the other Jacks in the organization being like, "Yo, Frost, where's the kid? You were supposed to kill him ages ago." And Jack's like, "I got leads. I got leads." And they're like, "Okay, we'll go follow up on those. He needs to
1: die." I think it's kind of funny because in the first chapter he. it makes it sound like, oh, I'm not going
0: to tell them. Because, like, I have time. I'm sure at some point they were like, okay, but dude, where's the body of the kid? And he was like, um, well, you see. If you must know. The reason that that's a thing. What happened
1: was. <laughs> but I do think it's funny that he was straight up. He's like, I'm just going to lie about it. And then when you get to convocation, they're all like, Jack, you suck at your job. You were supposed to be. One of the best. And you can't kill a toddler. And then the second to last story. I title in my notes, they all fall down because I think
0: I'm funny. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes you're funny.
1: Oh, thank you. Silas and Miss Lopiscu are missing. Or Silas is missing. Miss Lopiscu is watching after Bod, but then eventually she has to go back to the old country. So Bod is left by himself and the ghosts are a little bit beside themselves. Silas left money for food and stuff. So it's nothing like concerning that way.
0: He also left food in the crypt. He left food for several months in the crypt as well. So he's set on food. That's not an issue.
1: Yeah. So it's nothing like that. But it's still Silas has never been gone this long. They're a little freaked out by it. Bod is a little bit moody. Which the adolescence has really sunk in with some of his actions.
0: Yeah, he's a teen.
1: But Scarlet's back. Her parents apparently split up, which I'm surprised didn't happen sooner. I don't know much about their marriage. But moving around that much and not having secure income would definitely put a strain on a marriage.
0: Oh, definitely.
1: So she's back in town.
0: Though so it does sound like they managed to live in Glasgow for a good portion of the time, though, because she talks about how all her friends are there. So I guess he found a job that stuck. Yeah. Or he gave up and did something else. <laughs> or
1: she put her foot down and was like, you are going to move. We're not moving anymore. I don't know. They don't really go over that. But I do have a question. Is scarlet black
0: they never specifically say
1: they don't but there's a point where she takes a wrong bus and it describes somebody on the bus as her skin even darker than scarlets so maybe yeah that's what I was saying it was like either she could be light-skinned or the person could have extremely dark skin or something and maybe she's another person of color but that caught me off guard I was like wait is scarlet black
0: which makes the fluorescent coats so much better because I think little dark-skinned children look so much better in fluorescent colors than white children. <laughs> Just personally, I think the color pops way more and gives it more personality.
1: Yeah, they're very pretty. But that was something that stuck out to me. And I was like, hmm, that makes me think Scarlet is not white. And that's very cool to me. Especially with the thought that Bod is probably so pale.
0: He's almost never out in the daytime. He
1: probably looks ghostly. Her mom really should have gotten her a
0: phone by now. That's ridiculous. My child is going to ride a city bus to and from school, but I will not buy her a phone It's like, okay, cool. So if she misses the bus or the bus breaks down or she gets kidnapped, she can't contact you.
1: Yeah, and the other thing, very simple fix to the I'm going to miss all of my friends. A cell phone, yes.
0: And then she could call them.
1: And she's a 15-year-old in 2008. I get, oh, I'm going to wait till a certain age. But I had a phone by the time I was 12. Because that's when you start doing extracurricular stuff with school. and you're staying out later and you're doing things and you're hanging out with friends more often. It's safety.
0: Mm -hmm. I definitely had a flip phone back in middle school.
1: Even if she's like, oh, I don't want to buy her an iPhone or something. Get her a cheap one. Get her one of those or so it's like, oh, you have five lines and you can call them or something like that. There is no excuse. Get her a flip phone. They still
0: make flip phones. Those are still a thing. Especially back in 2008. For real. That's what everybody had was the flip phones. I still have my little red one somewhere. There's really no
1: reason that she didn't give her a phone other than for Neil to be like, well, why didn't she call her mom? Because she couldn't. <laughs> yeah, so she has a deja vu with the rubbings. And that's where she meets Jay Frost. And he's a very nice man. He's a very stereotypical British gentleman where he's overly polite and whatnot. Has a
0: little bit of a stutter.
1: Her mom and him seem to hit it off a little bit. He's like, become part of the family, whatever. Which I'm sure she's just happy to have someone that's so attentive to her. Because I think another problem would probably be that he was putting work before family and whatnot. So that would be a nice change of pace for her. There's a moment where Scarlet Dreamwalks to bod? And that is never
0: explained. Yep. They hint at her having, I guess, some sort of magic or something in her lineage. Because she can also see him when he fades. Yeah. There's something there, but they never really touch on that.
1: They don't. And it could also be explained because she knew him when he was younger. They, maybe they have some sort of connection because they went and saw the Indigo Man and the Slayer and the stuff together. Maybe. But yeah, it's never really explained.
0: Which it doesn't necessarily need to be. And Neil's just kind of like, yeah, so she can do this weird thing. She has no control over it. Ta-da!
1: And so Bob's at this point where he's realizing, yeah, I really need to be with the living soon I guess in a year he's really understanding how everyone stays the same the kids he played with when he was a kid are still kids and things like that so he and Scarlet meet up Scarlet hugs him and is like oh I'm so glad that you're an actual real person Bod feels safe when he's with Scarlet so there's this little cute little romance blossoming there they would have
0: been so cute together
1: Bod's first crush
0: It would have been so cute together.
1: And then we get, of course, little snippets of what's happening in Krakow. Krakow? And why a vampire, a werewolf, a mummy, and an Ifrit. What does an
0: Ifrit look like?
1: Ugh, he's got... Okay, I've seen a picture, but it's been a minute. It reminds me of kind of like a bull demon. It has horns and it's red. and.
0: Okay. Was the Ifrit the one that got stuck in the mirror trap?
1: Yes, it was that one. I guess not in all of these pictures it's red. In this one it's green. But yeah, so it, it's got horns. It looks evil. It's a demon. It preys upon dumb people. Oh, well... <laughs> Yeah, it's a powerful type of demon in Islamic mythology. They are often associated with the underworld and also identified with the spirits of the dead and have been compared to evil genies.
0: Oh, so like Jin.
1: Jenny Loki. I don't know what that is in Eng- European culture. I don't know what a, a Lachlan... A, it's one of those weird pronunciation symbols over it, so I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, but...
0: Yay, dyslexic! <laughs>
1: it's associated with the life after death. So that's why that one's there. Which I think comes to a point, mummy, Ifrit, and vampire all have to do with the undead.
0: Yeah. What does a werewolf have to do with the undead? It doesn't. Not really. It's classic like the vampire and the mummy. That's true. And I guess technically the Ifrit is classic if you consider it as a generic devil. Oh my
1: goodness. Do you want to know the nickname of the Assyrian mummy? Yes. Unlucky mummy. (laughs) That explains the pig. That
0: explains the pig.
1: Yep. It was cursed by the blood and gore. It celebrates mummies, coffins, funeral mass, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, that's why the pig, and that's why he needs luck, because he is unlucky. There you go. But it finally comes to a head, which this plot twist is awesome. So freaking awesome. Scarlet lets Mr. Frost know about this, and he's a local historian, so he's pulling up all this stuff. He apparently is now living in the house that bod's family was murdered so he agrees to do all this research and stuff to figure stuff out and he's like oh my goodness i figured stuff out so scarlet and bod go over to his house frost is like hey i found xyz but i also found this letter that explains everything and I want to show Bod it first because it has to do with his family and, and so
0: we're going to go upstairs alone and be entirely alone and I'm just going to be fine
1: yeah and if he feels comfortable sharing it with Scarlet then then he can share it but he wants Bod to see it first and he's like okay like
0: I will kill the boy and then after I kill the boy I'll kill the girl I don't think he was going to kill her I think he probably would have because there's no way that he would have been able to hide the fact that Bod was no longer alive because that house it goes up and then it goes straight down you have to go through most of the rooms to get out.
1: Yeah, but I think he would have made some sort of excuse, like Bod's way upset, leave, get her out, and then... Be like, I never saw him again. I think he
0: was going to kill her.
1: I don't think he necessarily
0: had to kill her. He didn't have to kill her. I think he would have.
1: Well, I don't know. Like the whole time he kind of, even to the point where they were in the graveyard and he was trying to use Mr. Frost's voice to lure her out instead of straight up killing her. But then he was like, eh, forget this. And then he went about making her a hostage. But yeah, so he takes Spot up to the nursery and he pulls open a floorboard. He's like, it's right under my nose this whole time, this letter. And then it switches and... And of course, this whole time it's Mr. Frost, Mr. Frost, Mr. Frost. And then it said the man Jack held the knife. And it was like, oh my goodness, Mr. Frost is Jack. Because this entire time he's been like, oh, he has black hair and stuff like that. Did you
0: catch that or was that a surprise to you?
1: That was a surprise. That was good. I liked that. I
0: figured that one out the first time I read it. I
1: really liked it. No, it's a good surprise. It's a really good twist. And because one of the other things is, like I said, this entire time they explained what he looks like and it's always the same. He has jet black hair. He's wearing dark clothes. It's inked back and whatever. And Frost looks completely different. And so even Bod is like, hey, you're not the person I was expecting you to be. And he's like, oh, age changes someone. It's like, okay, that's fair. That's fair.
0: Yeah, it's 15 years later. The dude must have been rather old, though. He was probably in his 30s or 40s already.
1: That's why I was thinking he must have been like in his 30s or something, 35 and then 50. But still, for him to go completely white. It's the stress.
0: (laughs) It's the sheer stress. Yes. True.
1: He's like, I left this kid alive. Mm. <laughs> so this is where the rest of the short stories come into play. He traps one of them in a grave that you learn was buried really deep because it was supposed to have 12 coffins, but there's only one coffin in it. So he traps one guy with a pit trap, basically. And then the other three, he uses a ghoul gate.
0: Oh, I actually wrote the names of all the jacks. <laughs> yep. So it's Jack Catch that ends up in the hole and he has a mustache.
1: Liza uses some of her magic on one of them and the ghosts are telling him oh this is where Jack is and the different Jacks.
0: Jack Nimble and Jack Tar go into the ghoul gate first and then Jack Dandy follows and Jack Dandy's the one that explains about the Jack society a little bit and then tries not to get in and grabs the headstone and Bod's like I'm gonna just let it close (laughs) but I'm close it now. Yeah he's like I don't
1: know what's gonna happen whether you're gonna get consumed by it cut in half I'm just not sure there is a, a point where these three men join them because they show up at the house with the other Jack, and there's like a little hint as to what's going on. Because at some point it was like, "Hey, what are you guys doing here? Who are you in?" It uses a specific phrase, and it's something like "We all Jacks" or something.
0: Every man Jack of us.
1: Every man Jack of us, which is a British phrase where it's basically it refers to kind of blue collar. Every man Jack is kind of a blue collar stereotypical. That. It's a common phrase. And so at first, every man Jack, you're like, hmm, that seems suspicious because this entire time they're like, oh, Jack this, Jack that. The card says Jack on it. Those things, you learn that Jack isn't alone. So when he says every man Jack, that's kind of a hint towards literally all of them are named Jack.
0: Yep. Or have taken on the name Jack. Yeah,
1: that's what I'm always been curious because they mention it's people from all over the world. So Jack isn't a common name everywhere in the world. But I like to believe that they were all. Born and named Jack, and that's the requirement to get into the club. That's why there's no women. You have to be named Jack. If you're not named Jack, you don't get in. But it gets to the point. He hides Scarlet with the sleer. Jack uses his nose like a weirdo. What you do find out is Jack Frost, specifically the one that murdered them. Because at first I thought, oh, maybe this is a different Jack. But no, it actually is Jack Frost is the one from the beginning of the book. He has the super smell power, which apparently only he has,
0: because none of the other Jacks seem to have this. They apparently each have different powers. Which I'm curious what the other one's powers were. Well, I'm pretty sure Jack Tar was probably his strength.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I wonder what Dandy's was. No clue. Organization, leadership. (laughs) (laughs) I know the magical girls who are like, my power is fire, mine is my intense strength, mine is organization! Hey, somebody's got to Keep everything in check. Oh, and there's a person leading up to this, of course, where Bod goes and asks the Slayer for advice, and the Slayer are basically asking for a master because this whole time they're like, We're waiting for our master return. We're waiting for him to return.
0: He's like, Will you be my master?
1: Yeah, even the Slayer know he's not actually coming back. I like, Will you be our master? And Bod kind of refuses. He's like, No. And so I thought going into this, because Jack goes down and gets scarlet and has her as a hostage, and then he sees all the stuff and he's like, Oh, human sacrifice. I'm going to to kill you Bod it's gonna be super epic I'm using this stuff it super epic and then the slayer wake up and they are terrifying because this entire time they've just been a voice and you finally get to see them and they're terrifying
0: they're like a stitched together mass of human and animal and it's all blah, 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 blah.
1: so this is what I thought was gonna happen this entire time they're like oh we want to protect our master blah 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 and so I was kind of expecting Bod to be like yeah I'm your master and then they kill Frost mm. Yeah, I kind of like the actual solution better because Fawd this entire time has been refusing. And so the Sleer are like, we need a master. Will you be our master? And Jack's like, heck yeah, I'll be your master. That sounds awesome. And so they basically pick him up and pull him through the rock wall.
0: They're like, we protect you now forever and all eternity. And he's like, what? No. And they're like, yeah, we protect you now. And they grab him and they pull him through the wall. And he's like, what?
1: And like you said, there seems to be something with the Convocation and that place, because he makes it sound like them themselves have been looking for that place for a long time. So I don't know. I don't know what that place was, other than that it was human sacrifice and apparently had something to do with druids.
0: Which don't usually entail human sacrifice, depending on the druids. They're more in tune with nature.
1: These druids apparently had some dark magic going on. Apparently. No clue. But Bod finally accepts that his name is Nobody Owens, because there was a very, small subplot where Bod wanted to find out what his real name was or it was the name he was given when he was a baby obviously he finally accepts it I guess and he's like I'm nobody Owens it was a very small subplot not much of a buildup, in my opinion it's not like his entire life he's been trying to figure it out so the Slayer kidnap Jack essentially and pull him through the wall at some point there's an actual light in the room I guess and so Scarlet's
0: able to see oh she's got an LED light on her keychain.
1: Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. So she shines the light and she doesn't see the sleer, but she does see Jack get picked up
0: and pulled through the stone and she's convinced Bod has done that? He says something and she's like, oh, so you knew that would happen? And he's like, well, yeah. And she's like, so I was bait? And he's like, no, it wasn't like that. And she's like, so I was bait. Which she really wasn't. He was trying to protect
1: her and then as soon as the hostage situation became, he was like, okay, we've got to resolve this and he was able to resolve it. He was like, all right. Sleer, hey, come get your master. But at that point, Scarlet now hates Bod for life.
0: And calls him a monster.
1: Yeah, which personally I think was unwarranted, but
0: oh well. Well, Silas agrees with you, so. Because he immediately comes up and is like, you do Bod a disservice, I believe.
1: Yeah, but Silas walks her home and makes her forget most of it and convinces her mother to take her back to Glasgow with her other friends. So they'll probably never meet again. Miss Lupiscu died in battle, so she's not coming back. Silas takes Bod out for pizza and is like, hey, I'm gonna be leaving one day and you're gonna be leaving one day. And Bod mentions that Silas is part of the Honor Guard, but we don't really get to learn much about them either, which personally I think obviously they're some sort of
0: monsters for good. Balance more. They're more for balance. They protect the borders to the other worlds, like the world where the ghouls live. Yeah.
1: They're cool people. They're like unionized or something. I don't know. But Bod is really upset about Scarlet and is trying to ask, why is she Upset with me, and Silas doesn't answer, which personally I think is a weird thing not to answer. That's a pretty obvious explanation. She doesn't understand it, and so she's scared. I don't know why that wasn't an answer that came with it, but I guess it's supposed to be draw your own conclusion, learn your own wisdom or something. I'm not really sure. Don't know. Then he's like, Okay, now what? And they're like, Oh, you're too young to leave the graveyard. And then a year later, they're like, Okay, cool. Now leave the graveyard. He slowly loses his powers. He slowly can't see ghosts anymore. He can't walk through tombstones. He just loses his powers in general, slowly. So it's time to say goodbye. He says goodbye to his parents, to Liza, to Silas. And Silas is like, cool, now that you're leaving, I'm also leaving.
0: But it's like, this isn't your home? And Silas is like, no, it's not. Which makes me wonder why he came there in the first place. Probably to scout out for something that the Jacks were doing, because the mentions that they had had wind of this organization, but weren't sure what was up with that and then probably heard some stuff going down around the house before the murder and so was over there (laughs) just to see what was going on and see if they could catch wind of anything with the organization is my guess.
1: Yeah. And so it ends very open endedly. Bod is going to go out and experience life and he's really excited for it despite the actual logistics of all of the things he's saying. But it's a children's book. We don't need to worry about that. Adult problems are not something to be had in children's books. You know. This is a really good book. I'm glad you liked it. It was good. I loved all the chapter openings. Those were really cool. I always felt like he started them in a really good spot. It's third person for most of the time, but every once in a while it'll slip into this second person, which reminded me of Series of Unfortunate Events, which is one of my favorite children's series. So anything that reminds me of Lemony Snicket automatically gets bonus points. But in the end, it's a really good story about the importance of life and how to enjoy life without being scared of death and how it's all a part of itself. But just because death isn't scary doesn't mean you shouldn't live your life. It's a good story. It's got a good moral. It's long as heck, but... You're welcome. (laughs) It's got a
0: good story. I like this book a lot. This is one of the ones that I go back to frequently. I haven't recently, but I did used to listen to this quite a bit. But I love the characters a lot. I enjoy reading through Bod's story over and over again, just because I feel like he does have a lot of wit and a lot of personality. One question. But first I was like, oh,
1: how did you come up with this book? But I did a little research on it and his son was riding his bicycle around a graveyard and he's like, oh, wow, he looks really peaceful and happy. And he decided he wanted to write a book akin to the Jungle Book, but about graveyards. And so that's how he came up with this. And he took a really long time to write it because he wanted to be skilled enough to be able to tell the story and whatnot. So I can't ask that as much, but I am really curious. I want to learn more about the Jacks.
0: Oh, I want to learn more about the honor guard.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of satisfied with that. And it, it, it's monsters for good. They are protecting the borderlands between life and death. So people can't pull like necromancy and stuff like that. satisfied with that. I want to know what the heck the Jacks are doing. Yeah. What is their place in all of this? What are they doing? How do they start? Do they all have to be named Jack? What are the things? (laughs) I want to learn more. Because you go to there and you meet a bunch of people and then you find out, oh, they've been, the honor guard have been killing him out and they're making one last stand in Karkow and, oh, those are the last four Jacks in the entire world. So they go away very quickly, but I'd like to learn more about the
0: Jacks. Yeah, like I said, I feel like there's more to be told about the Honor Guard because they never expressly say it's monsters for good.
1: Yeah, they just say that they're there to protect the borderline, which if you're going to be un- undead, you might as well have some sort of union of fun buddies to go on adventures and to kill evil people or other people disrupting if, I guess, if they have good intentions too. So overall, I would give this having a monster buddy out of 10. It was a lot of fun, a lot of adventures Ends kind of abruptly, but it was
0: really good. I give it a being friends with the monster under your bed. I- a ton. It picks things up off the floor for you, talks to you when you can't get to sleep at night, plugs in the charger into the outlet behind the bed that you can't actually reach. Dude, that's the best.
1: Yeah. So thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. You can keep up to date with us by checking us out on Twitter or Instagram, and you can help support our podcast by checking us out on Patreon, where for just $1 a month you can get access to our bonus episodes where we look at the movie adaptations to some of your favorite books. This month we're doing World War Z with a special appearance from my husband, the King of Dist- literature.
0: Join us next time when we'll be reading through The Cat Who Ate Danish Modern by Lillian Jackson Braun. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I'm Sam Reiner. And I'm Lizzie Sawyer. And we hope to see you
1: and a friend here next time.